Hello, this is Patrick, and it's time for Real Herbs and Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by thepracticalherbalist.com and sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, your source for high-quality, organic, bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. The field of herbalism has changed considerably over the past 30 years. Once aspiring herbalists had few mentors and essentially had to create the path into the herbal lifestyle on their own. Those hardy souls have become the teachers and guides modern herbalists have to thank for reclaiming herbalism as a real medicine for the people. Today we're talking with one of herbalism's elders, Howie Brownstein, co-owner and primary instructor of Columbine School of Botanical Studies about his path into herbalism and the changes he's seen. Welcome, Howie. Why, thank you, Candice. It's lovely to have you here. I feel like you're an honored guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Let the audience know. You just made the gagging reflex. <laughs> no, it really is because you're yes. one of those classical herbalists that's going to set the bar for um, how we study herbs. You know, you really ask people to do their homework, which when you and I were first starting in herbal medicine, that was not what people did. They kind of felt their way around herbs and they didn't balance it out with doing research or even sometimes being in the field and observing how the herbs were growing or interacting with other plants around them. There just, there wasn't as much science available for one thing, but people didn't seem to even honor the science. They found that as a, as a threat. And you set the bar and said, no, that's, that's part of how they work, and, and let's examine that and learn from that and be better herbalists. As far as I'm concerned, that's my take. Well, it was all unintentional. Oh, it was complete accident? Just unintentional, yeah. I didn't go into herbalism intending to do any of that. And, in fact, I'm actually really surprised that I find myself being an elder Really? Yeah, well, yeah, you and me both, honey. That time creeps up. But So how did you end up starting with herbalism? Oh, gosh. I guess I've always been into plants as, as long as I can remember. And so uh, I, I'm supposed to have some kind of, like, patent story as to how I became an herbalist, but it isn't, there isn't any really clear way that that happened. It just happened by accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you don't, like, trip into herbalism. I mean, so... It had to evolve from some some point. Well, yeah, like, let's see. It's not an easy path. Well, let's um, start at the beginning. Um, you start, you, you, when we first met, you said that um, you're New York. Yes. New York State, New York City? Well, it's New Jersey. I come from New Jersey. Oh, so you just well, eliminate the, the whole New Jersey thing yeah, and went to New York? Just, well, yeah. So, to oh. quote one of my favorite <laughs> movies, what is a dazzling urbanite such as yourself doing in a rustic setting like this? <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so I moved from New York to Los Angeles in my um, teenage years and didn't quite know what to do with myself as a teenager. Certainly, mm-hmm. I had absolutely no idea what I even liked as a teenager. It was difficult. So I spent a few years trying to figure out what it is I like to do. So I tried a couple different methods of, of, of finding out who I was and what I liked, my father was quite helpful with that. He told me to do a variety of different things, which none of which worked. Finally, he told me to try hitchhiking around the country. Your father oh, told right. you to hitchhike. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. It was that a whole different era. It was like, the 70s. Yeah. 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 And I spent the summer hitchhiking. Uh, uh, I went all the way from southern New Mexico to up into Canada. And what I found is that I really liked it outside. And before that, I was going to be an electrical engineer and work with electronics. And after being outside, I decided I want to do something outside. Now, certainly at that time, even hitchhiking around, I had like plant ID books and I was 16, 17. I was, I was interested into it, in it. And, um, uh, so in my hitchhiking around Oregon was the friendliest place. That's where the people who picked me up were the friendliest. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd come to Oregon and study plants, and I went to Lane Community College for a few years and to Oregon State University, except I had a hard time continuing with school when the flowers came out. So Oh, I yeah. so know that. I remember sitting out on the when I was in college, and I, I just sit out there and go, why? Why would I ever go back inside? Mm -hmm. I mean, and we were, I was in Duluth. It's cold all the year round. There's not much time. It's really great out there. Mm -hmm. So when, I, when it was nice in spring, I was like, no, I'm not going in. I'm just going to skip class. Now, I'll, I'll assume <clears throat> we were talking about flower flowers and not another euphemism for anything else? No, flower. Okay, flower, okay. Like, oh, I didn't know yeah. it was 70s. I don't Yeah, know. yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> when the flowers came out, I'm like, oh, was that a euphemism for... I mean, I don't know. So he <laughs> didn't say when the weeds came out. Well, I, I just didn't know. Oh, I mean, yes, you know. well, <laughs> the uh, the opinions of Patrick do not represent the opinions of Real Herbalism Radio. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is true. <laughs> Disclaimer number one: there is more to come. For clarification, okay, ready, I just listeners. need to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was plants and flowers. I was, okay. you know, even then I was interested in what was edible and what was medicinal. And um, so, did you have a teacher at that time that no, kind of helped you out? I never you had were any really teachers. Really going on your own. Never had any teachers. I had what few books there were around. Right. And mm -hmm. and in I was living in Eugene, and I was recently married, soon to have a baby. Aww. Or was it soon to have a baby and soon to be married afterwards? One of the two. And, uh, Close enough. <laughs> I, was, I had a few tinctures around, and my wife at the time was making clothing. And we decided we should sell this stuff and try to make some money because we were broke and we didn't have jobs. And it was Eugene, and there weren't really that many jobs in, in the mm -hmm. late 70s. Unless you so it was the early in the 80s. Yeah. yeah, in the mill. Yep. So I decided to go into tinctures. Just because I was, I had some. I was making them already. Right. Now, how did you end up with tinctures? Because to me, that was that was brand. I had to be introduced to that stuff. Well, I've always been into chemistry and mm -hmm. plants, and I learned plant ID and wild foods from going to school. Mm -hmm. I took a wild foods class from Jay Marston in uh, probably seventy nine at Lane Community College. Right, that the was identification interesting. One. Yeah, it was identifying yeah. mm -hmm. and. Um, yep. And using, uh, we would uh, spend a third of the time studying wild plants, a third of the time outside looking, and a third of the time eating. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, every week we had a dinner. And I, years ago, I used to pride myself on, I could feed five people dinner in a five-block radius anywhere in Eugene. That's what, that's nice. what I was doing in, like, the <laughs> late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, and that, that did not involve mugging pizza no, barriers. from wild plants. Okay, all right. Yes. 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 Landscaping yeah. plants, I yeah. suppose. Yep. Landscaping yeah, wild plants. It is an edible city. Yeah. It is. It is. There's so much that grows here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, from New Jersey, it's probably similar to Minnesota's climate in that 
There's a lot of things that just don't grow there. There's still a good swath, but here, everything grows. Everything grows. Things it's grow on trees. Wide, yeah, yeah, it's such a wide variety of plants. Ferns that, that grow on trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus all the landscaping type fruit trees and yeah. things yeah. along those lines. Yeah, I mean, we so have so much, much here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have so many things that are native, but then there's so much that people import, and it survives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very yeah. rich place for yep. foods, mm-hmm. urban urban foods that and haven't been that. planted. The food that goes to waste, too. You go by and oh, you yeah. see all the flowering plum trees. Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 ha. They always right. have fruit on them, and it just sits on the sidewalk. Right. It's a shame. Of course, making tinctures as a business in the early 80s was really an odd thing to do. Like you yeah. said, how did I get about making tinctures? Yeah. Well, I just, I, I went through a period. Of t- I studied chemistry. I studied organic chemistry. I studied alchemy for a year or two back in the day, and... Mm-hmm. kind of put it all together to make tinctures. I was just doing that for me mm-hmm. and decided I would sell them to friends. But we're talking about a time where there weren't very many herbalists and they weren't close together. Mm-hmm. And um, some people in the United States here, like I've gone to conferences and I've met herbalists from the United States where there isn't another herbalist around for hundreds of miles and mm-hmm. no one believes in herbalism and they look at you funny. Mm-hmm. And yeah there's nobody who's an herbalist and there's no role models. Of course, here in the Northwest, here in Eugene, there's an herbalist on every street corner. Yeah. 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 Can't throw a pine cone without hitting one. Yes. And I was, uh, (laughs) not that I advise throwing pine cones to hit herbalists, by the way. You've tried. I've thought of it once in a while. You've tried. I've seen you. (laughs) (laughs) I was dating a woman a number of years back and we went and she took me to a yoga. And so I went Uh and did yoga and she had a cut on her foot and, Somebody, some guy came over to her and said, you should put comfrey on that cut. And I was like, oh, now that's a Eugenian pickup line, right? Yeah. Oh, so, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but back in the 80s, there were, in the early 80s, yeah. there were no other real herbalists. Uh, making tinctures was an extreme way to go with herbs mm-hmm. because you couldn't get herb tea in uh, a market. You couldn't go to right. Safeway or right. Asmark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those on the east side, yeah. you couldn't go there and, and get chamomile tea. It was impossible. It right. was very odd. And it was a strange thing to do. I know one time I was knock on the door. My neighbor came over and said, oh, can I bum a joint off you? I was like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have any marijuana. I don't, I don't have any, I'm not doing anything illegal. What makes you think it's well? I've been looking through the window and I've been watching you. Oh, well. that's not pounds, <laughs> pounds oh. of marijuana. I was like, well, that's comfrey. That's nettles. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some comfrey and nettles? He's like, and he says, you call it what you want, but I want to smoke some of that stuff, right? Right. Well, right. good luck. It takes a lot of pounds of comfrey <laughs> to sell to pay the rent. I it bet. was very difficult. I, I was imagine. broke most of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in that time, people did not become an herbalist to make money or to become famous or to. There was no role models as herbalists, really. Right. Very, very right. few. The people who did it, the people who did become herbalists, did not do it with the idea that they would ever get any money or recognition mm-hmm. from it. They, mm-hmm. they did it because they were called to do that, right. because that right. was their path. Yeah. And many times I, I ended up with a tincture business. That, at the time, my business was called Columbines and Wizardry Herbs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people asked me where that came from. That actually did come from a Tom Rush, Joni Mitchell song. Mm-hmm. Oh, which one? Uh, 
You'll have to lick that one. Oh, come on. You're going to sing a few bars? No, No, okay. It said, with columbines and wizardry, she weaves her magic spell. Mm. Which was the line that it came from, and it reflected my romantic gooeyness. Uh-huh. So you've got some gooey nougaty centers there. Is yes, that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The soft soft insides. Right. But always <laughs> <laughs> emotional development. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. So, well so I like it. I think it's really So neat. then what? <laughs> so then I had this store, the Columbines and Wizardry Botanical Laboratories in the early eighties on uh eighth street. An awesome name. My landlord did not appreciate it because if it was a laboratory, then it would have to be insured as a laboratory. Oh. So he wanted me to change it, which was... Did you, you tell... No, this is just voodoo. I, Nothing to worry about. Yeah. You're it fine. was very interesting. People did not believe tinctures worked. or They right. thought I was experimenting on them. You know, it mm-hmm. was very, very different. But, I mean, the California School of Herbal Studies was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. And people used to come up from there to see my tincture business because I had a business with certified mm-hmm. kitchen and so, nice yeah. tables, you know, metal tables and stacks of herbs and uh, deeper and deeper into debt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. really <laughs> broke. I kept saying, well, I could get a job like doing other things. I actually could get a job. I had other skills with electrical work. and But every time I tried to quit... <laughs> somebody would come off the street that I barely in. knew and would oh, say, I have $2,000 that I want to invest in something positive. Will you take it from me? And keep oh. it for a while. So for any of you out there that want to invest in something positive. Yes. Uh, no, no, don't invest. <laughs> don't invest in me. Don't invest in me. I, I, I don't borrow money anymore. Uh, I learned my lesson. Real liberalism radio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. Uh. <laughs> Investing is different, though. Well, you know, you said something earlier about um, how the the mentality was. You know, you're not going to make, you don't make money. You're going to do it for different reasons. And to a certain extent, a lot of some of that might have has, has changed. But even when we were talking to uh, Dandy, mm-hmm. you know, there was this whole I want to help everybody and I want to do things. And being kind of an older person looking back, you're looking at her saying, "That's great," and that's totally you know honorable, but. On the same token, you should be, there should be a need to transfer of energy, whether that's, Mm -hmm. you know, money or something else, but something has to move between two people in order to make a value there. It can't be a one-way street. Yeah, it can't be a one-way street. It was very difficult for me to accept that. I bet. It was very, very difficult for me to accept that. What I learned, when I started my school, uh, and I would take people into the woods and teach them how to identify edible and poisonous medicinal plants and how to harvest them locate them and make medicine and food out of them mm-hmm. I was not charging money I was teaching them and that the herbs that they would pick some of them would go to me and when mm-hmm. it rained no one would show up mm-hmm. <laughs> right. and I found well, that the more money I charged the more likely it was for people to actually like buy books study show up to class yeah. mm-hmm. um, they were they were yes. sacrificing part yes. to get They're something invested. back yeah. invested yeah. yes yeah. it was mm-hmm. it was a very difficult thing for me to understand and learn over the years but uh, it's I had to change my relationship to money I came from a background where um, uh, I believed that money was inherently bad 
and there was something wrong with me being able to pay all my bills. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've worked with that. I think that's a little bit Eugenie. I, I mm-hmm. notice a lot of the healer types and the herbalists and the artist types and the musicians out here mm-hmm. seemed almost to eschew money. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, how do you pay the rent? I mean, right. how can you keep doing what you love if you can't keep a roof over your head and food on the table? You have to survive. Yeah. And the world should pay you enough to do that. Should be that exchange should be there. I wonder you know? if that's a class issue because you don't see that with people that have been raised in very poor classes. I would agree with you. I would say that. You know, I would say that. And and mm-hmm. um, if you're middle class, you have that. Or if you're a trust fund person, then mm-hmm. you have the luxury of not having to do that goods and services thing. I and would. I would agree make with that you. Because yeah. we were talking before yes. how people that have that comfort level are not as good about paying their bills. Mm-hmm. You know, when when my husband would charge. My husband's a contractor, and when he charged someone who is from that particular class, they're not as great about paying bills if he cuts them the friends rate. But if he gives them just the $40 an hour rate, then they'll pay it in a heartbeat mm-hmm. without even mm-hmm. thinking about it. Oh, yeah. 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 And we certainly could get sidetracked into that. But <laughs> Yeah, but it's an exchange. Yeah. Yes. It's, no, it's, they I, change I would if you're agree. comfortable totally with the idea. I totally yes. You know? No, I, I have many examples of that in my life. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I got deeper and deeper into debt doing this herbalism, even, and I kept trying to quit, and this mm-hmm. society, I would say my community kept coming to me and saying, don't quit. Mm-hmm. And I had a kid. I had a, an infant right. in, mm-hmm. in the 80s, and I was married, and I was really struggling. Mm-hmm. But I still kept doing it because people really wanted me to do this. This was what I was supposed to do. Right. I, I think... What interested me was uh, uh, Christopher Headley, and I don't know if people know who Christopher Headley is, but uh, he's a herbalist from England, um, from Britain. He lives in London, and I think now he's probably in his 70s or 80s. Mm. And he came to visit me once, and uh, I always say he's on my side. He's on our mm-hmm. side, because he's on the yes. side of the plants. And he told me once that he once tried to quit herbalism. It only lasted a year or two because the plants wouldn't let him. Nice. And I smile. <laughs> That's awesome. I smile. I keep it. Keep that in mind. Um, yes, and I've heard Paul Bergner talk a lot about having herbalism as a calling. And if you go into herbalism in a, in a time where no one could possibly be an herbalist, there were no role model herbalists, although there were a few books around. Mm-hmm. There, back to Eden. School, yeah, like Back yeah. to Eden. Um, and uh, Michael Tierra's book, the Way of Herbs, mm-hmm. that was out, and Michael Moore's book, uh, Medicinal Plants of the Mountain West, the first version, Jeanette, the little yellow booklet, and Junie Rose mm-hmm. had her book out, mm-hmm. and a yeah. couple others. Um, it, yeah, back to but Eden they were few and far between. Few and far between. And they were tattered copies. Yes, mm-hmm. you could get those. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it was Michael Moore's book, The Medicinal Plants of the Mountain West, that I used to start my business with. I was right. using those herbs because it, it applied to where I was. And he set a strong model, too, of, of that observing and, and doing your homework like we were talking about mm-hmm. before. And then It was very science-oriented. Yes, very much so. It's interesting people tell me that I'm so science-oriented, and I always find that really hard to believe because I feel a little um, irreverent towards science. Hmm. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the scientific method, meaning um, 
you have an idea, a hypothesis, you suggest this might happen, you mm -hmm. test that, and then you see if that works. And then if it does seem to work, then other people need to be able to reproduce right. that. And yep. then it becomes essentially fact. But I, I consider science pretty much to be like an ever-changing model that is... Uh, you mean flux. as the tools change? As tools change, as knowledge changes... Things that are scientific fact regularly changes. Mm. I think mm -hmm. something like 40% of, uh, and you can't really quote me, uh, something like 40% of things that are taught in med school are out of date in five years. Yep. Some, yeah. I would say yeah, a substantial, substantial, a substantial yeah. amount. So, mm -hmm. But those were fact at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. And we see this with like main ingredients in herbs. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see a main ingredient in an herb and that's the main ingredient and that one constituent, it <laughs> reflects what the herb does, or at least in a major way, mm -hmm. a number of years go by and we find out it wasn't that ingredient at all. It was right. something else. Right. That's one of yeah. the problems that I have with standardized <laughs> yes. herbal medicine yeah. is we are, we are arrogantly assuming we discovered this little chemical, this compound, and that's got to be it. That's the one. That's There's all those other chemicals and compounds in that plant, but this one, here it is. We got her. You know, yeah. you know I'm sorry. Just It's, it's probably a combination complex. of it. Yeah. We keep changing uh, what the species name is of a number of these herbs because we <laughs> figure out, oh, yeah. well, actually it's related to this one. I mean, how many... What do you even say for Oregon grape anymore? Yeah. You know, what is it? Is it Berbers? Is it Mahoney? We don't even know about the genus on that one. We just keep switching it around. It's you know? been switching back and forth for yeah. hundreds of years. Flip, 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 a couple flip, hundred flip, years. Yeah, hundred years. Yeah, yeah when it comes example. down to it, though, it's still Oregon grape. It's still Oregon grape. still yeah. our good friend. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when did you, was the business that you started then in the early 80s your school? I also started teaching at the okay. same time. Uh there was a time where the tincture business had five employees and we flew around the country going to trade shows. But In your private Elvis nice. jet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that looks like a yes. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't supposed to bring up the Elvis oh. jet, remember? Yeah, the Elvis jet. Well, that's how I learned car mechanics is going into woods with my broken down car and constantly having to fix it to get out. <laughs> and I took Ceanothus flowers, which goes by the name of red root or mm -hmm. California lilac, and I took the flowers, which are high in saponins, and I rubbed them in my hands, and they soaked up. And mm -hmm. But it doesn't always work. you got to have just the right amount of water and just the right amount of air. So you have to have a little trick in there to get the right amount of water, right amount of air, and it lathers up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then the Ceanothus uh flowers themselves the little pieces can be a little gritty and then they take a little bit of the exfoliation Perfect. so my hands were often very greasy because mm -hmm. i my car wouldn't start or something was going wrong and then mm -hmm. i would go back and wash my hands up and take the grease off and it was wow see you know these flowers can take car grease off your hands that's great <laughs> so i wrote that on the internet back in the 90s <laughs> on the internet when i first was on it that cianothus can remove car grease because i would do it all the time um somebody tried that and couldn't get the car grease off and wrote on the internet that cianothus will not remove car grease <laughs> so when you search for cianothus on the internet since everyone just copies everyone else mm -hmm. over those years the amount of uh 
listings yeah. for Cianotis will not take off car grease from your hands. <laughs> uh, that made me smile. Yeah. <laughs> That's how myths are born. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's the beginning of it. Yeah. So you've done a lot of traveling. You do teaching herbs in the desert in Arizona, right? And then yes. you've also been down through Ecuador. You did a plant study helping with identifying wild plants. Chile. 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 Thank Chile. you. Mm, Off I'm the coast of southern Chile. Yeah. Wow. But I am a booth rep for the Oregon Country Fair. One of oh, the, yeah. one of the <laughs> one of the uh, and when I was on the deserted island off the coast of Chile back in the 90s <laughs> with 13 um, international scientists, what? someone <laughs> actually translating from um, Portuguese said, oh, you're a booth rep at the Oregon Country Fair? Do you have an extra <laughs> camping pass? Oh, jeez. Wow. Man, that does not shake off, does it? <laughs> no. That is so funny. We well, are. Eugene is known worldwide as being the capital for the hippies. Yeah, like this is hippie central here, apparently. Yeah, I know. the country fair's got to have everything to do with that. Yeah, people often mistake me for a hippie, but I yeah. understand because you know oh. I used to be one when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you've yeah. done that thing. Mm-hmm. So, what are you doing now? Now? Mm-hmm. Well, well, not this very second. But I'm being interviewed. You were being interviewed? Yeah, I knew you were going to do that. I'd like to go back to uh, what my school turned out to be. You talk yeah. about traveling, and, yeah. and there seems to be this mm-hmm. excitement of places that I've been to or go to. But for most of my life, I've spent my time in Oregon, mm-hmm. in the mountains of Oregon, and in the wild places of Oregon. And when people would say to me, oh, you want a vacation? Where should we go? I'm like, oh, how about the Steens Mountains of Oregon? How about back to the Cascades, some of the mm-hmm. roads I haven't been to? Yeah. And I've spent years driving down dirt roads and watching plants. And um, we do, in our, in our um, Columbine School of Botanical Studies, mm-hmm. uh, I teach with Stephen Yeager. Yeah. Stephen Great Yeager. guy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Thumbs up for him. Thumbs up for Stephen mm-hmm. Yeager. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mr. Stephen Yeager. Mr. Sir? Is it Sir now? Sir. Mr. Stephen Yeager, Sir. Who's there taught with me for uh, 18 years or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been teaching so long, we work really well together. Uh, we do skits and songs and mm-hmm. lots of uh, practice teaching, teaching, lots of practice teaching. We have our mm-hmm. raps down. Uh, it's been a lot of fun teaching with him. I didn't intentionally make it that way. I don't think he did either. Mm-hmm. He It just ended up being that way. He, nice. he, that Laurel and Hardy nice. routine that yes. just evolved. We did the yeah. Cheech and Chong, the Laurel uh-huh. and Hardy, mm-hmm. the yes. That's fun. Uh, yeah, I advise anyone to to um, stalk uh, Howie and Steve on the internet and find their podcast because it's yeah. super fun. <laughs> yeah, the Free Herbalism Radio Project has just published yep. two of them are out, up now at yep. the Mountain Rose. Yeah, including Herbs the group. beautiful song that you sing. Yeah. But please don't come to my house and knock on my door and ask No, don't me do that. I don't do that. Those days yeah. are over. Yes. 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 Yeah. So we're running low on time here, but I want to make sure that we have a chance to hear about your school because that is, I mean, I love your wildcrafting guidelines online. And the class descriptions that I read, it sounded fabulous. So what are you doing there? Oh, well, we have uh, the Columbine School of Botanical Studies, which is... Uh, I think about two to three year program in, in herbalism. 
Yeah, and you call it apprenticeships, right? Uh, I call it an apprenticeship. Yeah. yeah. Originally, back in the '80s, that's what I called it was an apprenticeship, mm-hmm. um, and now we call some of some aspect of it an apprenticeship. The people who are apprentices would uh, take field work and classroom work, and mm-hmm. then if you just took the classroom work and not the field work, we wouldn't call you an apprentice we just call you a student yeah but the apprenticeship uh, includes for first year we go out in the woods one day a week in the spring for 10 weeks um, and one overnight and two to three evening a week lectures Uh, we spend most of our time in the field and that's what we basically teach is in the field and we're teaching how to identify how to locate how to Ethically harvest, I have to chuckle. Ethical harvesting is, <laughs> is such a catchphrase. Why? Um, everybody ethically harvests. Now, let me tell you. Does anyone <laughs> come to you and say, oh, I got this ginseng root from the Nature Conservancy. I snuck in at night and got some of it, but I'm selling it cheap. <laughs> no, no one says that. They always say, oh, it's ethically wildcrafted. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Everyone says it's ethically wildcrafted. That is so true. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, we teach wildcrafting, we teach uh, identification, we teach how to make food and medicine from the plants. Mm-hmm. Um, in the summertime, it's overnights, we go out six overnights and lectures, and that's the first year. So we spend a lot of time in, in the woods, outside, um, going back to the different places throughout the year so we can watch the snow melt. We can watch the plants come up and get and get bigger. We can see the snow melt. We can watch the plant that we're thinking about harvesting. We can see what comes up before it, before the plant comes up, mm-hmm. and see, see what yeah. not just where it grows, but how it grows and how it interacts with the environment. Right. What yeah. plants come up first? Maybe indicator plants. Mm-hmm. Watch the plant come out of the ground. Um, see what animals eat it see what pollinates it, see what plants grow with it, maybe taste a piece of the leaf or the root every week or two to see how its flavor and effects change. Watch it die back, see what plants go after it, grow after mm-hmm. it. Watch, watch, watch the place until the snow is just about to come again mm-hmm. and, and get kind of this year-round vision with the plants and, and live with the plants over the year to see how they grow and change and how they interact with the different animals. You mentioned the wildcrafting checklist. It's kind of funny. We Every time we pick a plant with the group, we um, sit down and go over that checklist. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes like 45 minutes of talking. Wow. Just to go over the different angles of how the plant grows, how yeah. it interacts with different aspects of the um, environment. And then when it comes time to harvest, it may only take 10 minutes. But yeah. we spent 45 <laughs> minutes talking about it. And I right. always envision this coyote behind some bush looking at us <laughs> going, humans sure are stupid. They have to talk for like 45 minutes before. Just to pick one plant. <laughs> but um, that's what we get for being yeah. humans, I guess. Well, you know, we did sign up for this gig, didn't we? Yeah. I've had a lot of t-shirts donated to Occupy Medical that are from your students. Mm-hmm. And I can tell they're from your that class because... The way it's labeled, you know, it's got the season on there. It's got, it's very, very thorough on that little piece of masking tape on mm-hmm. the mason jar. And it's good quality medicine, particularly the one I'm thinking of, the particularis. Oh, That's yeah. your, your students are the only ones that provide us with that invaluable piece of medicine. And because we're a free clinic 
naturally we're dealing with a lot of people with anxiety disorders. Mm. So that one I'm always grateful for when I see that one come in. Yeah, I'm, I'm particular about labeling. Well, we, we, we're learning botany. We're learning mm -hmm. the botany end of it, at least at mm -hmm. first. And so we like to label it with a family name and the Latin name. And that's for us to learn it so yes. that we have it on the bottles. We can see it. Yeah. In fact, at, at one point, I actually labeled all my house spices with Latin names just because I didn't know them. <laughs> nice. And if I labeled my house nice. spices, then I would know them. There you go. If I'm ever going to know as many Latin names as Seven Song, it's, I'm just going to take that. You're going to have to, yeah. yeah. Swing those around. Um, and I'm very particular about not saying where we got the herb from, the mm -hmm. specific oh. site-specific information. Um, I know a lot of people will say, well, these... I don't know a lot of, I don't have a lot of friends. No one comes to my house. I'll write where I picked it. It'll just stay in my cabinet. No one will ever know. But as the yeah. years go by, that isn't necessarily the case. Right. Because right. it ends up in, in my hands, for example. Yeah. Right. And I can't be that. trusted. So that's, that's <laughs> proof right there. <laughs> so I have people label it as, at, with the environment it came from, the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Right. Like yeah, that's nice. low elevation coniferous woods, mm -hmm. 2,500 feet or. Well, when it comes to medicine, that part probably makes more matters more than the geographical location, anyway. Absolutely, because knowing where the medicine came from, like in elevation, you'll know how that plant would be affected by its environment and which yes. energies it's more likely to be helpful on. And, right, I mean, right, absolutely. And someone who knows where it grows and knows enough about the outside could find more of it. Yeah, without coming back to the stand that, and it's yeah. interesting. That you, that you pick from. And it's interesting mm -hmm. because uh, I have over the years had this concept of hiding the locations of stands to be able to make money from them or mm -hmm. to be able to lay some claim to them. But I see not revealing the place that your herbs grow uh, in, the, in the wilds as being more protective. It's like the stewardship It's a Yes, part. stewardship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, I have seen damage from, like, the yew trees when companies were harvesting massive amounts of yew for, oh, yeah. for uh, taxol. And, I, and I've heard of other places. I know it happens where the people are taking every stick of one plant out because it's really popular and there's damage mm -hmm. that way. But in the West Coast, the majority of the damage I've seen to uh, wild plants have been from herb schools and small-time wild crafters. Oh, yeah. hmm. From from um, herb schools that say, please don't come back to my stands. The teachers, for example, mm -hmm. they're not wanting this to happen. But uh, the students eventually do come back, and they bring their friends, and their friends bring mm -hmm. their friends, and the teacher keeps going back to those stands. And um, soon some of those students start their own schools, and then you have three or yes. four herb schools all going to the same exact stand yeah. that their original teacher taught them. And then and no more Valerian Ascensionsis. Yeah, if they're all taking mm -hmm. just one small percentage, those yes. small percentages add up fast. It's very, it's a very slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And, for example, Michael Moore, not the producer, the herbalist. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Moore, he wrote his books, and, and he would gladly tell people where stands were. Mm -hmm. And he had this attitude of, well, there's us and them, and 
they would wipe out the stands, but we wouldn't. We're family. You know, we're herbalists. We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But it was a different time. Yeah. And there pretty are a lot m- more of them than us. There's a lot <laughs> more herbalists and yes. people who want to be herbalists but don't necessarily get the piece of taking care of the earth aspect of it and taking care of the plants. Or they yes. still have that isolationist view of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they still think that we're just this tiny little section and we have no effect, and that's right. just not true. So what's your takeaway, Howie? What would you say, when you look back, what's your, what's your big high points and your, your, the fun of being an herbalist? Wow. What's that? How's that for a good question? You She's like that great one? at that, isn't she? <laughs> right at the last minute. Yeah. Didn't even think about it or anything. Oh, wow. That, thank you for throwing that on. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, 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 okay. So have your mind percolate on that question, and I'll give you one that might be easier. Okay. <laughs> so if I'm a prospective student, and I go to your school, and I enroll in the classes, at the end of the program, what would I expect to be able to do? Hmm. Good question. Uh, I like that one. Okay. That's a good question. So that one might be easier to answer, but then you can mull the other one over as... <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, you want me to answer that question? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. yeah. that's Why what I'm waiting for you. So, well, in our in our three year program, if people are going in into the two or three year program where we are teaching more uh, clinical herbalism and physiology and things along those lines, you'll you'll get a different you'll get a different take home from that, mm-hmm. different skills. But from people who take our first year class who are going in the woods for the 300 plus hours and, and taking the field and taking the uh, lectures, uh, I often get asked, what will I get from this? Will I get some kind of certificate? Will I be able to get some kind of job? And I, and I actually kind of chuckle. I'm sure that you've talked about certification <laughs> on, on um, free herbalism radio, and if you haven't, you will soon. But I always go back to my catalog or my website and say, well, upon completion of the first year, apprenticeship you'll be able to identify locate harvest process and use plants you've never seen before outside of the class setting um, and outside of the pacific northwest and that alone to be able to go to plants you don't know and identify them and know how to know how to go about using them and or locating more of them and that is a pretty big skill that's a life-changing mm-hmm. skill, and I stick with that and try not to tell people they can get a specific job. No, I guess mm-hmm. I wasn't saying that as much as because, like we talked about earlier, it is an investment. I mean, if I'm going to take the classes, they're going to cost me a certain amount of money. Yes. And if I decide that I want to go to the, to the two- and three-year program, at the end of that program, if it was like college, for instance, yes. well, if I go to college and I get a degree, then I'm qualified supposedly mm-hmm. to you know get to be an accountant to be you know a business person to be a graphic designer to be whatever so at the end of um, the program at your school mm-hmm. what would I be qualified to do good question <laughs> <laughs> what can an herbalist do well, that really is the question what so can, I guess what, what is someone who can get trained as an herbalist do so so what I'm saying though is I think you did answer my question at the End of your course. That was my first year, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, your, 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 your three-year program. Okay, at the end of the three-year program, you'd, if you took all the classes, you'd have that skill, plus you'd also um, have training as a clinical herbalist. So I could be, in a clinic. quote, unquote, an herbalist, and I could treat people. 
yes. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant. Right. I'm, re- I'm yeah. reluctant. Yeah. Most some people will not go in that direction. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. uh, some people, what they're going to do is uh, make herbal medicine for their friends and family in a community herbalism way. Sure. Much like people make tomato sauce every year, they're going to be making organ grape tincture. Some people are going to help their friends um, and family. Some people are going to go into clinical herbalism and move forward in that direction and work in a clinic. Some some people are going to end up at Occupy Herbalism. (laughs) (laughs) Some, Some people will choose just to go with eating wild foods and identifying plants. What... What's unique about our school uh, is that we help people define their relationship with nature. So mm-hmm. what I really see is people having a better understanding of their place on Earth, which is a little bit less of a sales point as far as what job you can get. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to recommend um, a, a file that my friend Seven Song wrote as what you can do when you are finished going to an herbal school. And uh, the link will be uh, listed on the webpage here. Okay, great. But it lists uh, like 60 or 70 different things that you can do after you go through certain herbal training. And you could wildcraft, you could practice in uh, uh, practice medical herbalism in a hospital with a doctor that's quite unlikely but it's possible it's happening it's, it's happening. starting it is starting it is it's starting happening. but but uh, yeah. it's it's probably some of the least likely things that you're going to end up doing going to uh, at one of the herbal schools and but that's possible okay. you could be practicing you could uh, write herbal fiction books you could help <laughs> you could help um, organize herbal conferences you could sure. uh, run herbal businesses. You could be an herbal consultant to uh, uh, herbal business. You could make lists of what herbalists could do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what it really comes down to, though, that is the education that you're providing is a very solid foundation on which you could jump off to many different uh, places. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. That's, and so that really shows um, the intensity of the courses, the, the amount of inf- information that's being provided, and what they can, what a person can apply it to. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a very good um, school in that respect because if you have that many possibilities walking out, that's a great investment of, of what you know your time and your money. Say oh, I yes. can do all of these things mm-hmm. yes. that I couldn't really do before. Yeah, many people it, become botanists. Yeah. Many people go yeah. in that direction. Sure, and it's a different type of learning. It's the, the conventional stuff that when we went to college. You would memorize, you take a test, right. it's over. Right. Mm. You know, you may or may not ever resurrect that learning again. Right. But with the way Howie's teaching, at least the students that I'm getting, they have gone through it. It's more than memorization. It's it it's a uh, more holistic understanding of the mm. plants. Practical. This it's is very practical. practical. Hands on. You're entrenched yeah. in in the world. Their their roots are deeper. I suppose sure. to use a botanical uh, term. We use the um, ancient method. The uh, oral tradition of constant repetition. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we introduce a term, we don't expect, we introduce a plant, we don't expect anybody to remember that. We, But once we introduce the term, we make sure everyone understands what it means, or we give a Latin name, then we repeat it over and over again. And the 30th or 40th time that Stephen or I ask a student what the name of that plant is, at that point, you remember it for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So in traditional school, you go to a lecture and a... Mm-hmm 
teacher comes out, presents the material, and then you go home and it's your responsibility to learn it. But what Stephen and I do is we present the material and then it's our responsibility to repeat it enough that the student knows it. Nice. It's a ve very different form of learning. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thanks for answering that because that was something I really wanted to, you know, kind of nail down as to what you, what you would get. And it sounds like it's a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Sue, you had your question. What was it? Yeah, and I yeah. think actually how you kind of answered that. You know, what, what is the takeaway? It's, it's the connections that we were just talking about and... And it's that feeling of being with your feet on this the planet. You know, that's what the herbs seem to have taught you. It taught you how to be a better person, and you know that seems to seems to make you happy. Hmm. I'm I'm lucky. I have a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did manage to follow your bliss, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I was as totally surprised at after years of being an oddball, doing something strange, and being <laughs> flat broke that. Uh, herbalism became popular enough that yes. it's actually I could actually make I could pay my rent. That's by nice. Being an herbalist is <laughs> something I never really expected to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, well, thank you for coming on our show and speaking to us so in depth. Um, you'll find out more about Howie and his school at www.botanicalstudies.net. For more information, links, and resources that we mentioned on this program, including the Columbine School of Botanical Studies, check out our show notes on realherbalismradio.com. You can find recipes, how-tos, and other detailed information on the topics we discussed and more on practicalherbalist.com. Now it's time for herbalism and homesteading news. Today I'd like to talk about the herbal supplement. Kerfluffle, I guess you'd say. Um, the article I'm looking at is from ABC News. It's entitled, New York Attorney General Expands Herbal Supplements Investigation by Mary Esch of the Associated Press, and it was published in February 2015. I'm finding this whole, it, it's, it, it's... It's complex. It's, it's complex astonishingly complex. And, and amazingly frustrating. It's yep. not as simple, even as they make it sound in the article. Mm -hmm. in the, this and in, in the, there are various other articles I've read on this. Right. And it brings up a lot of arguments that have been happening in the herbal industry for decades. Right. And here comes the New York Attorney General, and they just kind of stuck their finger in the middle of a cyclone. And yeah. all of these other things mm -hmm. are spinning off of it. Now, the testing technique that they chose to use. Right. What, let's talk about that testing okay. technique. What, what's the deal with this test? So the one that they used is, is fairly inexpensive, and that's one of the great things about it. it is in 2003, this brand-new testing technique was invented by a Canadian scientist whose name completely escapes me. I apologize for that. But he, he determined that you could, quote-unquote, use a barcode technique in our, you know, you just find verified species of animals, plants, uh, bacteria, etc., and then you can use that template in order to uh, test and verify whether the other samples come in are that particular species. All right. So that, then that makes a certain amount of sense. It's, it, but it has a wider range of... Um, applications. Yeah. Wider range of applications, but also... Uh, they're looking for well, the nucleotides. Test is not right. they, What's that error? Margin the, of a error. margin of error. It's got a wider margin of error. Yeah. For one thing, it's still pretty new, so right. they're still trying to figure it out. But you know, you're looking for nucleotides. Right. That's the thing that, you, and that's what has the DNA 
and the RNA in it, and that's what they're testing for. Okay. And in some um, samples, you're, the the plant has been extracted, so not, you don't have the RNA and the DNA in there. It's, you're just getting the complete constituents in there. Right. You no. Know, so that's one of well, the. Well, and the herbal industry has been using a far more expensive, oh, really expensive, different test that has something to do with light or something. Yeah. Yeah. Spectrology. It's it's a it's a very expensive test, and for the last couple of decades, these companies have been pushing them, saying this is the most accurate way. We just put a particular spectrum of light on it, and then it'll show wavelengths, and you're just matching the wavelengths. And it is very expensive, and I can understand why the New York Attorney General would choose a far less expensive, the the DNA testing rather than the more expensive one, because they were picking a lot of samples. Right, but the the light, the expensive one, has a smaller margin and of it has error, decades of and use a lot on more it. Data. Yeah, so that's why the industry trusts it as okay. opposed to this other, you know, considered upstart, relatively new, relatively case. new upstart that they're right. still building a catalog for. Right. No, so they're, you know, they're trusting something that even though it's expensive and it's time consuming and etc. With the DNA one, you have a quicker turnaround and. So you know, well, based on what we know of the testing that they did mm-hmm. on these samples from Walmart and the various other stores, do we believe that when they said 70% of these supplements didn't actually even contain the plant that they claimed they contained, do we believe mm-hmm. that was probably a fairly accurate I'm not sure. Result? I don't. See, that's, <laughs> I'm waiting for the, the – the jury's still out as far as I'm concerned on that one. Okay. Because really – there, there's a reason why these herbal industries are paying the big bucks in exactly. order to get this expensive, time-consuming test done because it is far more reliable. Right. And the other one is there's still a lot of kinks that we're working out on that one, and I don't and okay, yeah. So that so, it, that's a kerfuddle. So that's a so kerfuddle a for sure. There's a question there that's on one. just how they did their testing and their methodology. Right there is just one big right. hairy ball of mess. There's, and there's but a huge, there's more. There's more to there's it. So more. another thing is we're wondering why is the New York Attorney General doing the FDA's job? Well, that's a good question right there. What What are they – that's not – they're doing something that the federal government is paid to do. And I can understand being fr- frustrated with the federal government because the FDA really has very limited staff. Right. If you've read the news at all, you <laughs> notice if you want to get some funding, you just go to the military. And they'll get a whole bunch of, right. of funding. But the FDA doesn't get that much funding, and yet they have more and more requirements upon them. Right. And – Although I'm not a huge fan of the FDA, it's not necessarily because they're evil. It's because they are poorly funded and they just have a lot more responsibility that they cannot handle. Right. And yet they are trusted as this uh, incredible source. And people are saying, well, the FDA already has these standards. Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Well, there was a person that you just saw, Patrick, Mm -hmm. about... Someone who just said, well, the FDA doesn't have any standards about right. these supplements, which is completely inaccurate for labeling. Well, that was that was there part was, of the audio in the public radio story, which I right. encouraged. There's a New York – or not New York. A um, The story is called New York Attorney General Targets Mislabeled Herbal Supplements uh, by Hansai Lo Wang. And it's a national public radio story. That was published in February 2015 as well. And at the very top of the story, there's an audio clip that Mm -hmm. they have on this story. 
And late in the audio clip, there's a fellow whose name I don't remember, I apologize, who starts talking about how there are no labeling standards at all. Yeah. And I, that's not accurate. That is not accurate at all. There for, are. There are a lot of, in fact, it's one of the problems. So here, here's a quote because there's a transcript of that. Okay. Article. Okay, here's the See, quote. Paul Offit says, you're never sure that what's on the label is what's in the bottle. It's an honor system. I mean, the FDA ends up pulling about one of these products off the market every week, and they're found to do harm. It's just the tip of the iceberg. What End quote. What even is that? <clears throat> what is that? And they're found to do harm? Yeah, right? So, what, where's this guy coming from? Is he just kind of sitting around making stuff up? I mean, the FDA does pull stuff, and they do examine things, and sometimes they send letters, and sometimes they don't. No, there is some real... Cl- real cause for concern that I have about the pharmaceutical industry and some of the the testing that they are approving, even though it's not approvable. And when it is something that's a concern, then sometimes they send off a, a warning letter. Sometimes they don't. And that has to do, I think, with funding again. But there is, there are things that you have to have on your label. You know, for instance, your country of origin, you have to have the description of your analytic testing. There's, there if it's gluten-free or hyperallergenic, if you've got any kind of allergen in there like soy or wheat, you have to have that labeled there. Now, I do have, here's the other part of the storm is for a long time, it was just small companies that were handing out or producing, I should say, these herbal supplements. And now it's huge. It's big business. And for the small companies, they're looking at this going, how can these large companies charge so little for right. these supplements, right? Because Which, they knew made, what it took. Yeah, when they're made properly, the herbs cost a certain amount. Mm-hmm. The work, it, you know, it takes humans to pay attention to make sure that nothing gets mixed, cross pollinated. Yep. And Walmart was charging like three, four dollars a bottle. And yeah. for these smaller companies, you know, they're like, well, I think I can charge fifteen and still be able to pay rent. Right, right. Well, that is a con- so, as a consumer though, you're trusting. Correct. The labeling. Mm-hmm. Right. And w- when I walk into a store, I'm like, well, why is this bottle of ginseng $5 and this bottle of 15 Right. And I look at the label, because that's what we're trained to do, and I see the same ingredients in the same amounts doing the same thing. Yep. Right. But you know, talk to somebody at a local nutrition store, and like, oh, no, no, you wouldn't want to buy that other one. Yeah. Well, why? But Because as a consumer, it, it looks like the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, why wouldn't you? It's like buying generic uh, uh, acetaminophen or generic Tylenol. Well, it's the same thing, right? Right, well, right. That we've all been taught to go for the generic if you can because mm-hmm. you're going to save money. Right, yeah. So that's right. kind of what the feeling is here. Well, I'm just going for the generic. But you're you really know. doing apples and oranges right there. Well, Pharmaceuticals, right. we're not going to the Tylenol trees and harvesting well, the sure. best, freshest Tylenols and then putting them in the <laughs> right. bottle. I mean, it really is a completely is different, a different situation. Industry. Well, okay. okay if, but, but I don't think most people think of it that way. Right. I they just they, it's a bottle, it's a bottle, it's, it's a, a bottle, bottle, it's a bottle, it's labeled there, and you compare them and you look and you go, but that they're the same. So mm-hmm. I'm, why would I spend $12 more on this one, but because it has a prettier label, mm-hmm. you know, or just get this one here that says Crozier on it or GNC or Walmart whatever. or right. whatever it is. Whatever yeah. You know, so as a consumer, I'd always end up doing that if I did a comparison. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I think the real crux here, whether it's the test or not, is that what was said on the label proved to not be in the bottle. Mm-hmm, correct. That's the issue that I yeah, have. Yeah, and there were things that were in the bottle that 
or were tested to find they found in the bottle that it certainly wasn't on the label, like wild radish and wild carrot and rice, rice and wheat. Yeah. And I can understand how those things in the bigger industries would be in there. They're because using, I have worked for the smaller industries, yeah. and you are hand-picking through what we got from the farmer. Each yes. one, it gets, it, each of those yeah. plants gets touched and, and we're examined and, and then, then dramming. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hyper. You know, it's we are. It's hyper work. vigilant. It's a right. lot Whereas of the larger work, ones yeah. are going through machines, and right. you know, it's just a completely different thing. That's why I per- personally prefer these smaller companies, or right. larger companies that contract smaller companies. Right. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit that for my family, we don't buy herbs in capsule or pill form. We, If we're going to take them that way, we'll make our own. Mm-hmm. But I prefer to buy herbs at the very least that are cut and dried and I'm familiar with what they're supposed to smell like and taste like and mm-hmm. I know what I'm getting. Yep. So I'm, I know what my family's getting. That's practical. It's also generally cheaper. Yep. You know, just less expensive to buy your hawthorn leaf and berry that's cut and sifted from a supplier mm-hmm. and then make sure that it looks right and good. And, you know, it, it's just cheaper. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I think the other thing that was interesting to me here is the consistency amongst their, their samples. So they would buy like four or five bottles of each of the, of the, of the ones they were going to test and they never got a, 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 an equal reading amongst the four bottles. Yeah. Right. So as a manufacturing process, you have to look at the manufacturer and say, what gives? It reminds yeah. me of the snake oil cries of the 1920s, about a, about a hundred years ago. That, you know, there were herbal people claiming to have herbal cures, and they were going around. And at that time, it was you know drive around in your car and mm-hmm. set up your cardboard thing and bark and you know tell everybody about it. It was like a little sideshow. And, right. And some of those snake oils worked, and some of them didn't work. Mm-hmm. Some of them were a what the people just said. Yeah, a lot of some of them were what they actually said was that what what the guy was saying was in the bottle actually was, and some of them were not. And I feel, and that that became the big tag word for that's the herbal industry. All herbalists are that way, and it was just this group of people that were maybe not entirely reputable. Well, there was a whole huge industry's worth, you know, a world's worth of herbalists quietly going about their business doing what they did. Mm-hmm. And now it's almost like these big companies that have found a way to corporatize and and capitalize on the herbal industry are now the snake oil salesmen out there. And I'm concerned that this is going to be bad for the whole industry. Yeah. Well, I think it, it does put a light on it, but I think it also puts on a light on it that, hey, look, you guys have to be accountable for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You can't just slap it together. It has to put some quality control on this. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I think if yeah. anything, that could help. Right, and I'm not necessarily against quality control. I mean, I think we as individuals need to be taking responsibility for knowing what herbs we're getting, why we're using them, what they should be like, mm-hmm. what effects we should be having. I mean, do right. your own research. But that's the same thing with the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, I don't trust any doctor or nurse or pharmacist to know everything about how a drug is or isn't going to work in my yeah. body. It's my body. I yeah. need to know. I need to do my research. This whole snafu is going to, the people that are going to be hurt the most is going to be the small company. The, the right. small companies, which are ironically doing the best job yeah, that's the of providing the me. best quality. So a lot of these other larger companies, are they doing organ lect- t- testing? Probably you can not. check and make sure it's <laughs> the right species, right. but are they really testing 
and tasting it is this right. good quality product because when it comes down to it that's how you know that's you look you know. at it you, you taste it, it you, you smell it, it. Yeah. all of those things are, are they go on our body and we are designed to detect those you know that's what right. evolution has given us as a gift right so are they doing those kind of organic testings do they have standards do they have staff that stay with the company for a long period of time right. and know from years of experience like wine you know yes. testing wine yes. do, do they do they have trained staff that is doing that or do they just throw it through a machine that looks great yeah you know that yeah. it's the small businesses that are all of a sudden they're going to have one more expensive test thrown on their shoulders and it will make or yeah. break some of these really good quality companies right. whereas larger companies like schneiderman who is the main herbal supplement maker that just to send it out and and small label uh, private label for these other large companies like Target and Walgreens and places like that mm-hmm. they're the ones that can afford the different testings the testing they or think nothing of it it's fine add another one on there whatever we'll just raise the price another nickel and it'll be okay but right. for small companies the ones that are already doing it right they're yeah. the ones that are going to suffer yeah that is that's something that that's part of what worries me about it yep yeah, it'll add, it we'll have more regulations, which will make it more gentrified. And the one thing that you really can't document, really, but although small companies are trying with, with writing down their organoleptic testing, those are the things that are going to fall by the wayside. And those are the, those are the real tests. Right. Those are, ironically, those are the ones that do the best. Yeah. Experience is something you can't stick in a bottle. This is true. That's very true. That's the sad part of it. But when it comes down to it, buy local, get to know your supplier, use your brain. Mm -hmm. Herbalism 101. This is part of the show where Sue and Candace answer a listener question or teach you about an herbal definition or term covering basic to advanced herbal knowledge. If you would like the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism 101 if we choose your question for the show we will send you a free pdf ebook natural nutrition by the practical herbalist currently available for $4.99 at the practical herbalist store here's candace and sue to discuss this show's herbalism 101 topic sue today we have a question from dj dj asks can you harvest rose hips green and let them turn red in the sun Normally, a person would take rose hips after they've already been on the bush and they've taken all of those tannins and developed them into a nice, beautiful red color. Usually after a frost. Usually after a frost because if you taste a rose hip, a red rose hip before a frost and after a frost, then you can taste that it is so much sweeter after the frost. Right. And one, if you're looking for something to um, make it a lot faster in harvesting rose hips, take them when they're red stick them in your freezer sure that would work because that's all you're doing is... but if you pick a green rose hip you're not going to get the vitamin c in there are you yeah because the vitamin right. c comes with the red color yeah so you're going to be losing some of that i'm not sure it's going to be very very it's crispy very... it's it's yeah. going to be difficult to peel you know there's a lot of things that the plant is still doing not only processing the seeds but it's making it more palatable the outside palatable for predators like birds or other animals that eat those rose hips. And it's making it a desirable thing for other animals to eat, including us. Makes we are sense. the predators. Makes sense. Well, I think the bottom line here, DJ, is you can 
because you can do anything you want. Right. But I probably wouldn't choose to pick green rose hips. It would be a big I'd disappointment. I'd wait until they're red and then maybe stick them in the freezer if yep. I don't want to wait longer. Yep. And then if you wait until it turns red, then you have that magnificent joy of enjoying look outside and see the beautiful red rose hips there and that's part of its medicine too is just enjoying it but again you can do a little quick cheat because sometimes if you have a frost you'll get a series of frosts and then you end up with blackened rose hips and that might be something that dj is trying to avoid or if you live in an area where you don't get frost right right you can take the rose hips throw them in the freezer overnight and then For, you're good. My freezer is, is becoming one of my increasing favorite mm-hmm. processing, herbal processing tools. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, DJ. Thank you for listening to Real Herbalism Radio. Your hosts have been Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. To find more information and recipes from today's show or to leave a comment or suggestion, visit us online at realherbalismradio.com. If you're feeling social, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thepracticalherbalist. Don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at amazon.com. Use the search terms practical herbalist. This show has been sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. You can visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. If you'd like to sponsor Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Till next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and The Practical Herbalist.